Hello and welcome. You're listening to It's a Groom's Life with Carly O'Brien. Hello guys and welcome to a new episode of It's a Groom's Life. Today with me I have Ria Shmolovic. Um, with me, sorry, I just like had to really make sure I got the name right. Um, so Ria is going to talk to us today about her blog and her job and everything. So hi, Ria, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, excited to be on the podcast. Oh, I'm so pleased to have you on. It's really, really yeah. exciting to have you on. So um, Ria, for people who have, don't know much about you or have not heard of you, would you mind like introducing yourself and telling us more about you and your journey in the equestrian industry and like what you're up to at the minute yeah um so people may know me from my blog which I started on Facebook originally which is adventures in black and white and um, which is I set up just to record like all the ups and downs of trying to have dressage horses while working a full-time job and I was also working with horses at the time um and that's kind of grown beyond all expectations. I now have a website. I'm obviously, I'm on uh, Instagram as well. I have a YouTube channel. Um, and basically, I wanted to share with people the knowledge that I gained over the last 20 odd years of working with horses, because like, it sounds mad that I actually been working with horses that long, but oh, I am the wrong side of the 35 now. <laughs> Yeah. Don't, tell um, me about it tell me about it <laughs> yeah and I like, I didn't come from a horsey background so I sort of I liked horses and things like that I wasn't allowed a horse till I was 17 I was that strange person that got a horse before they went to uni and then I had to find a way to pay for it so I went to uni studying horses and while I was there I got into racing which was bizarre and where I come from in Warwickshire, like no one was involved in racing, but um, I lived in Whitney um, in Oxfordshire and that's where I was doing my degree. And yeah, got into racing and it was the best thing I ever did. Um, it's taken me all over the world. It's given me so much of an insight into different parts of like horses. So I've done everything from foaling to breaking them in, to riding racehorses, to rehabbing racehorses, reschooling racehorses, and then the other end of it. So, yeah, so basically I've, I've been working for about 20 years, about 15 of those was on stud farms and with thoroughbreds and with racing Arabs, which are a whole different kettle of fish. Mm. I also took a break at one point to run my own yard. Um, but after so long working with horses, I, I was just so broken. Um, and I decided that I'd rather go and work in an office and I it took me five years to get an office job it's really hard because even though I had a degree and a decent one and I had so much experience and I was managing stub farms so and I was I could use a computer you know yeah <laughs> um people just saw um and I don't know whether the concern this, but they saw chip liquor um, yeah yeah for want of a better term yeah um and I was just incredibly lucky. I got a couple of interviews. I got down to the final for um, Rossdale's, which are our big local vets. They're one of the biggest vets in the country. And that was scary. That was a big panel interview. It was like being on X Factor. <laughs> and um, they gave it to someone who was already working in an office because they said, oh, we don't know if you can cope with coming inside. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, at this point, I was 30. 
was I 35 and I was like I'm broken I, I have to take so many painkillers to work yeah. on a daily basis and I'm like constantly in the osteopath and it's ruining my riding for my pleasure horse so yeah and then uh, yeah I got a job working for a company that ship horses um we ship all sorts of horses all over the world um my specific uh, job is to ship horses all over europe which has been difficult recently yeah um, especially it, brexit oh, i can imagine oh, it's much more worse now it it was brexit and covid were the gifts that kept on giving for us because we had all the problems with the horse paperwork and then we had to make sure the humans were constantly tested um the covid side a bit better now but brexit just it's still it's awful like they like even yesterday they the, the germans changed their minds on what they wanted on on a piece of paper and there we are trying to make sure that it happens so but it's really interesting it's very exciting and and to say you know i was the one that flew the horse in to win the um, irish derby is, is quite an achievement so um, yeah yeah i love it but it's also now given me more time to um, obviously look after my horse and do stuff with my horse and just help other people. So even though I don't work with horses anymore, I just like to share the knowledge that I have. So that's what Adventures in Black, what Black and White is all about. So why don't we talk about your horse? So what, what horse do you have at the minute and what are you guys up to? What do you do? Yeah, so I've got an X-ray source, which kind of sounds like a bit of a cliche. Um, <laughs> she, I didn't want, I didn't want her at all. Um, my previous horse, uh, Nicole, who was the mighty white unicorn, who basically was the inspiration for starting Adventures in Black and White. Um, he was coming to the end of his career. I'd had him ten years, and he, yeah, he's he was. He, he'd had enough. I got him from prelim to medium level. He was chain advanced medium at home and he he just had enough. He got so many health issues. It was so hard to keep him going. And he decided literally at the beginning of the COVID lockdown that, yeah, he'd had enough. So we just hacked and I started to look for another horse and I tried so many horses when we were allowed to. And the one thing, the thing I had a list and I was like, it, it can't be a thoroughbred. I don't want a mare and I don't really want a youngster so I bought a four-year-old thoroughbred mare of course <laughs> but, um, yeah <laughs> uh, but it was you know they always say um, you know what what's meant for you doesn't pass you by and I'm a big believer in that because um, my very first horse Murphy was a random we wouldn't even go look at him because he was grey um, he was the best horse I ever owned and then Nicole um, I wasn't really that bothered about him. I'd gone to see some other horses and he was there and I just saw him, saw him, liked him, bought him. And Stormy was the same. I only went to see her because she was literally five minutes away from my house at, at Palace House, the National Race Horse uh, Museum. They have a scheme there where they train horses for 12 weeks for trainers and then help them find another home. And I know Sue Malloy up there really well. And I'd actually organised to see a horse in Manchester the day before. So I thought, oh, I'll go and see this thoroughbred and then I've got something to compare. So yeah. I did a six hour round trip to Manchester to see a really nice horse. And then I went five minutes up the road and we walked in the stable with her. And I could tell before I even got on that I was buying her. <laughs> um, and then, you just um, know though, don't you? You just get a yeah. it's, it's a yeah. It's a weird thing, isn't it? But there's, there's just something you can't really pinpoint exactly what it is 
but yeah. it's just like as soon as you know you just know that is like some yeah. you know like you say before you ride them or anything you just know that that's you just there's like a connection thing isn't there yeah so yeah so she um my dad very kindly helped me out with that um and actually she she came home on Christmas Eve so that was quite special so she was my Christmas present to myself. Oh. I mean, um, and that's every and little girl's dream, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, such a child. Um, but yeah, and then they saw me, I got her going, and Nicole was teaching her how to be a, a good, good equine. Uh, and then I lost Nicole really sadly. And at this time, my shoulder, I have shoulder issue, uh, issues um, from mucking out, basically. Um, uh, 15 years of very heavy stud work mucking out has completely just ruined my shoulder plus whenever I fall off I always fall off on the right hand side so yeah. my shoulder was starting to get a bit bad and um, so I was struggling with schooling and, and Stormy was going really well we'd been doing some online dressage and she'd been getting 70 percent and this is great and then I had shoulder surgery which is very kindly paid for by my employer which I wish <laughs> I'd had a lot earlier but it's yeah. one of the benefits being employed um, and she had six weeks off so I sent her to my trainer and my trainer started her like restarted her once she had a break and she was lame oh. and everything just sort of fell apart she went into Rossdale's for a full workup and it turns out she's got a uh, proximal suspensory desmitis in her hinds she's got kissing spines and sacroiliac issues and at that point yeah it was really bad and it's really hard when you're running a blog and you're trying to like show people training and this, that, and the other, and then all of a sudden your horse is broken. You know, we have nothing to show. Yeah. Um, but I worked in rehab. Um, one of my stints was for Shadwell and their fantastic rehab facility over in Thetford. And I know a lot about rehab from that. And also Nicole had PSD. So we spent what we could on her. She's fully insured, but it's only so far six grand goes when they lump it all together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we are now six months down the line and last weekend she went to her first British dressage camp and we had a lesson with Charles Lasseter and it, she was, Stormy was very excited about the whole thing. She went full racehorse mode um, but as Charles said to me, well she didn't rear, she didn't buck, she didn't bolt, she didn't try and get you off, she's just excited. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, she was really, really enthusiastic about it and we, we hope like now we know what's wrong with her. I know it's bad there's things wrong with her, but at least now we know, then obviously I can like train her in a, a way that helps her. Um, I've got big into the kissing spines. Like she hasn't had surgery at all. Um, so I'm teaching her how to use herself properly. So like equine yeah. Pilates. Mm. Um, and I've been sharing that journey with people and I've had quite a few people come to me that have sort of been really interested in how I've got on and I've, I've been helping those oh that's amazing and is that just is that just due to sort of bad luck because obviously she's still quite a young horse or is it just um from where she raced before and it's just sort of wear and tear like what yeah what do you think could be the causes of it the kiss the kissing the kissing spine um because i was gutted when she had that because ironic enough when i had i had a vetted when i bought her and my vet and my physio both went oh well I can guarantee this horse doesn't have kissing spine mm. but you can't really say that it's not their no. fault they you know but she didn't look like a kissing spine horse but um when we x-rayed her and x-rays are pretty bad um but actually with kissing spines they say you don't ride the x-rays because some horses have minimal 
impingements and they're literally trying to kill you and some horses are like stormy where from t8 t12 to t6 uh, t18 is literally touching but she's absolutely fine so we think that she actually got the kissing spines formed when she was probably a two-year-old um she was raced very heavily as a two-year-old um and she was a sprinter so she was never encouraged to go sort of down around it was all flat out with your head up yeah um so it's not not that surprising and they did say you know because it's old now it's all healed she's kind of got over that it's just about teaching her how to go but um rostells would tell you that 80 percent of competition horses have kitten spines you just mm. don't know about it unless yeah. you're looking for it it's a bit yeah. like the, the psd as well the proxy spencer desmitis until you have a problem you don't realize you've got it no because so, uh, oh. yeah. what's your thoughts about um sort of um race horses racing at quite a young age like do you because obviously they're still kind of developing up until like they're sort of five years old five six so when they're racing yeah. at that young age do you find yeah. that that it should be sort of dealt with a little bit older or well it's kind of a difficult one for me because obviously i've been heavily involved in the whole thing um, I think as I've seen more of the the realities of what happens what, when we do break the horses that early, I'm now not so against it. I'm not against breaking horses like thoroughbreds and at two years old, but I don't think we should be racing them. I think, you know, you, training them, because when we were doing, like I was only eight and a half stone back in the day and going a straight line up a gallop, just educating the horse. I don't see any problem with that. But mm. I think the pressures that they get put under, and particularly, I don't know how much you know about racing, but there's um, at this that they've just had the end of the breeze up sales. And so you have like the yearling sales, which is where you go and see the yearlings and they're all led up in hand. And then the breeze ups happen from about March to May. And they are two year old horses and they breeze them as fast as possible over two furlongs because they are the ready made racehorse. And I think it is so wrong because. I've personally dealt with a lot of those two-year-olds and their heads are completely fried. Mm. So you've got something that's been pushed way too hard and then been put into an environment before it's ready. And yeah, I don't, I don't think we should race two-year-olds at all. I think no. um, we should at least wait till they're three. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because also I've worked with sports horses and I've seen the bad sides of that. I've seen three-year-old warm bloods broken in, in in draw race I wasn't doing it I was I just saw it and you just think this isn't right either um but no definitely I think to your racing I I would quite happily get rid of that well um why do they do it so young I mean it might be a naive, naive I, I just may be naive about it but I don't I don't understand why they do it so young is it just because they get more out of them at a younger age or it's more financial um, so in the 20 years I've been involved in horse racing, when I first started, I worked for a trainer called Hugh Morrison. He's lovely. Like he's still going today and he's an absolutely lovely guy. And even now he won't push his two-year-olds. So like, even though we rode them, they might, the early ones might've raced at the end of the season, you know, about sort of, um, September, October time. Um, and then a lot of his two-year-olds wouldn't even race till they wouldn't race at all. Um, but if you're a trainer that doesn't, that's not particularly rich, you know, a lot of these younger trainers 
um, they have syndicates or people that want a quick turnaround on their mm. investment. If they bought a yearling for 200,000, they want to see what that yearling's doing and they're not horsey people. So they just see them as investments and yeah. they want their fund day out. And Stormy, I think, was probably a victim of that. You know, she was bought for a syndicate and they, she, when she won her first race, she was only just two years old. She's quite a late foal, and I actually now thinking about it, think, yeah, that that's why she's got the problem she's got. Mm, mm. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't agree with it at all, and it makes me sad because I move around these horses, so I I move them as foals. Um, so the company I work for, I work for a, a big breeder, and we'll move the foals from here to Ireland, and then when they're yearlings, they come back from Ireland to here, and then we put them into the pre-trainers, and actually quite a lot of them are still in the pre-trainers at the moment which is good because I'm thinking the longer they're there that's better for them but then some yeah. of them have gone into training they're going back to the rehab yard and you think two years old and already broken it, mm. it, it yeah you have yeah. to sort of question your, your, your ethics a little bit there but it's it's quite I don't know if it's classified as a controversial topic but I just from my personal opinion I just feel like they would probably get a lot more they would get more out of the horse for a longer period if they yeah. just waited a year or two extra yeah. to sort of train and, and race, then try and get yeah. them, like you say, they break quite easily or they get broken yeah. quite e quickly so that you don't get so long out of them. And then when they're going to like rehab or um, retrain, the problems are there and they're already, already yeah. there and sometimes can't be fixed. Um, yeah. And then, you know there's always someone who's going to be kind-hearted and take that you know take that horse on and just maybe do it's a like hack or something but you just think if that horse is only say like four years old four or five years old and it's already broken but if it had waited an extra year you might have got another like five years out of it yeah see now the national hunt side of things so the the jumpers they do wait um, and a lot of those won't get broken until they're four years old. They might sit on them at three and then chuck them back out in the field for a year. Um, and they they have a lot longer useful life, even within racing, they'll race till they're eight, nine, ten years old. So mm. yeah, it's it's just this very I, I never really liked the commercial. So I I I did work on the commercial stuff where it was like breed sell, breed sell, breed sell. Mm. Um and I didn't like the commercial aspect of it. I think because I love horses too much. And I suppose yeah. do you love do you love them or are you doing it because they're a commodity? So I think yeah. we struggle as horsey people sometimes to deal with it because we we love them. But then the people that look after them love them. I had relationships with mares, brood mares that I fold for eight years in a row. And those mares, like I think they I love them and they genuinely love me. Um mm. so it's it's like they are looked after, but yeah, I think we should definitely leave them just that bit longer, but I don't know. We need we need a few of the dinosaurs to die off so that we can get our new ideas out. Yeah. The, the, the younger people do want this, but there's there's a few old old guards around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I get it. I do get it. I do understand it. But I think if if they just um just I don't know research a little bit or realize that you know like you say mentally their brain is not developed enough to kind of handle those type of situations and like structuredly like their bones and their muscles and stuff are not fully formed at that age so they you know 
it you know they're still growing and they're still developing and sometimes they shoot up and sometimes they shoot out with you know size wise because yeah. that's the, like one of the interesting things so when I got Stormy she was 15 too and she's now 16 hands yeah uh, and like I, I see it with the broodmares we get a three-year-old uh, that retired from racing and it'd be like a little tiny little greyhound and then you give her two years and she'd be 16 too and look like a cop you know yeah because they just don't grow but um the other but thing you, like, when you just said that like that sentence three-year-old and retired from racing I know. you just think <laughs> some horses haven't even been back to three years old yeah I know <laughs> I know it's mad and I think when they retire the stallions at three that's really wrong because I don't think there's a lot of problems we're getting now with the soundness of the horses and I think if you're breeding from horses that haven't had a full racing career until maybe six years old then it should you be breeding from that horse if it couldn't stay sound enough to race that long mm. yeah no I wouldn't um but the interesting thing you touched on about like the x-race horses so like with Stormy, um, she's really, really placid at home. She hacks out on her own. She is amazing. Um, I obviously am used to racehorses. The things she would react to that I just ignore, and like we took her to the forest and someone came up behind us and an endurance horse and said, oh, can we come past? And I said, you know, can you walk? And the horse trotted off in front of us and she was completely fine about that. Whereas my friend's cob was going mad. But that's because... <laughs> As a racehorse, she would be used to horses doing that when they're in the gallops in Newmarket. Like she, she's fine as long as you don't grab a hold of her, she's absolutely fine. And it's like you have to, um, when you have an ex-racehorse, you have to be aware of how institutionalised they can be. Mm. Um, she's great in some ways. Like she doesn't mind standing in the box all day. When she was on rehab and she had to be on box rest, she didn't care. Um, she knows that she has to be caught. So Nickel, my last one, my Connie. Uh, you couldn't catch him before five o'clock at night because that was his rule. Um, whereas Stormy, you can get out there any time of the day. You could turn her out for half an hour and she's just like, oh, human, you know, because yeah. that's how she's been um, institutionalised. But, you know, when you start taking them out, like you have to remember, she, she, every time she goes on the horse box, she still thinks she's going racing. Yeah. <laughs> have to go, okay, you know, it's all right. It's okay to be like anxious and we'll walk you around and we won't make you stand still when... I won't expect you to stand still when I get on you, but you know we want you to eventually. And yeah, yeah it, it, I find like that sort of aspect of retraining horses and helping them out really, really exciting. And yeah, because she's so talented herself, like she can already do half pass and walk. And her trot work before she went wrong was actually really good. You know, she's it's all there. Um, it, she, it's good that she's got another job. Left her. <laughs> yeah. And with like your experience with say obviously you're in the dressage like world as well with um with your own horses and that obviously quite often there's lots of warm bloods in there but do you find there is more like thoroughbreds coming through in like X races? Um, there is. Um, you do see certainly at the lower levels they're more out there and ROR really are um very, that's the retrained racehorses. Um, they're really promoting you know getting racehorses into other sports and dressage their dressage series is really really popular um because it's nice it's nice to go out and compete against warm bloods but it's nice to also have your own special section so you know you know you've got a chance you know you're if you're the best mm. moving thoroughbred that's great and you have your own championship um so they're definitely there's a lot of encouragement to to get them out there and certainly from competing although I have to say because obviously I live in Newmarket so it is you know the centre of the racehorse yeah. in the country anyway that yeah. and Lambourne um, so there's a lot of racehorses around here 
Um, but when you go out, there's, yeah, there's an awful lot of racehorses, even up to sort of about medium level, you see quite a few. And there was, of course, yeah. um, you know, Diamonds in the, in the Rough, she's just a bit further north from here, and she had her good Galileo that went all the way to PSG and into one. So it's nice to have people to aspire to, knowing you can do it. Yeah. You've just got to keep the sound. But it's the same with the warm bloods, like, you know, they all break, so yeah yeah they do I think One you get to a certain level don't you and then it's like it you have to train so hard when you get sort of above like medium that it yeah if you have any problems it it's quite brutal <laughs> yeah that's it but yeah I think it is I think the um RRR is a really great like scheme of stuff and there's obviously the um Racehorse sanctuary and things like that that are really you know supporting them and because they have such a sort of difficult start of not difficult I, I, maybe that's a bit too much of a strong word but they have a, a quite a busy start to their lives um and then yeah, when yeah. they probably do go to the sanctuary or you know get rehomed they're still a young horse so yeah. you, you know and you still got a potential like another 15 20 years with them so there's still yeah, so much yeah. potential you can get out of them it obviously just depends on their personality and you know how much they're willing to do as well sometimes they're just willing not to do anything and they just want to be a field ornament for the rest of their lives yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's it, yeah it's um i do i find them yeah if you get you can tell obviously because i work with when i was working with the breeding horses so you know we'd know there are certain lines of thoroughbred that i just wouldn't touch with a barge pole um because their temperaments just wouldn't suit what I want and with Stormy it's quite sweet because she's obviously seen a lot of the world um she won at um Newbury on a really big day so she would have been on Channel 4 ITV whichever one's showing it now so she's so used to like you go out and she'll see like banners and this that and the other and massive lorries and she doesn't look at things like that and then I fell off her uh, two weeks ago for the first time um because I was trotting through a puddle and she tripped and then she frightened herself and she went round and you're like well, how does that even happen <laughs> like you, you know you're so brave and bold most of the time and then something silly like that and then you're like all right I'm out of here yeah <laughs> I yeah think I found the, the only bit of water in Suffolk at that point because we're really <laughs> we're just it hasn't rained for weeks but at least it wasn't hard <laughs> yeah well yeah that's true I mean I'm based in Kent. We had our first downfall of rain. I think it was Wednesday evening for yeah. about two hours. I mean, it also has, I mean, it's softened the ground slightly, but it's still really, really hard. It's just, it's probably like the driest, like, it's like the driest spring we've had, I think. Yeah, it's mad. I've got cracks in the ground in my field because we're on clay and they're like two inches wide, you know, you're like, oh, she could lose a foot down there. Um, <laughs> And then it is like when you're doing rehab, like, and the, the vets go to, oh, yeah, I don't want you trotting on the road. I want you to trot on the grass. And I was like, have you even seen the grass? Like, uh, you're, you're thinking about the grass in Newmarket on the gallops, which has a nice bit of grass and it's been like cover and it's rolled. I'm on like hack tracks that are yeah. rotted from the winter, which now yeah. have just gone like cement. <laughs> you know, It'd be safer on the roads, probably, than yeah. in the fields. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it rains so it rained here yesterday and like but we looked at it and apart from the grass is green so <laughs> no the ground is it's just too much isn't it um so with your current job now so we briefly talked about it um earlier so can you tell us more about it like what, what is it um thoroughbreds that you're 
sort of selling and stuff or is it all types of horses uh well um so i will say so i work for godolphin uh, so that's Sheikh Mohammed, and so we move all of his horses so the mostly thoroughbreds um but we also deal with the endurance horses uh so we've just this last week we're having a load of horses come over from dubai and france and they'll do all the big endurance races that are around and about i think there's a big championships as well in um italy uh we also um we used to do princess hires show jumpers and we still do have uh, some of the show jumpers uh, and then they've got a stunt team as well um they'll be at the uh, windsor horse show um and yeah so we anything to do with his horses or uh, the family's horses we move them wherever they want to be so we wow. do everything from like shetland ponies to shire horses um, oh Madden. wow yeah. so you get a good little mix then yeah yeah and so we've got like our own fleet of horse boxes and we've got two airplanes and yeah it, it's exciting it, it, it's full on <laughs> and the shetland ponies um, probably cause the most trouble then out of all the other ponies because they do tend to have a uh cheeky, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cheeky personality <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny when you have them on the horse box like oh where, where's there's nothing in this section oh no there's something down there but yeah no it's 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 really cool um, and what's but, your like yeah. day to, what's your like day-to-day -day job role like i mean i guess it varies depending where the horses are where they need to be but like what sort of, yeah, like, of day so, in life for you so day-to-day -day, um it's just picking up requests um basically moving horses around so like we might they might want to move um we'll get a request from someone to move some mares over to ireland to see stallions over there and then we just start putting that together we work with agents in all the different countries um and sort of so putting together health papers organizing bloods organizing all the transport booking like the euro tunnel because we put horses on that and then um yeah just every aspect from getting them organized to getting them there um booking hotels all that sort of thing yeah so basically like a travel agent for horses oh it sounds good though it sounds yeah. like right up my street and the thing is, um, like, because everyone said, oh, you know, you'll find it boring going into the office, but because no day is the same, um, I think that's what makes it, it's, it's always challenging. So you're never bored because, like, you know, there's always something new to learn and, oh, we've never been somewhere. I, I organised the trip, this is a little while ago, and we, we had show jumpers, they were going to Norway and then they were going to Sweden and then they were going to Germany and it was like a 10 day trip and like just putting that together like was it was intense and it, but it was really interesting because obviously each country has its own rules for what they want mm. um, god yeah so let's quickly talk about brexit <laughs> the dreaded word dreaded so obviously word, yes. um again i can't remember we talked about it before or after recording but obviously that has just created a massive headache in moving horses and stuff around like how much of a headache is it like what extra things do it, you have to do now before Brexit? yeah it's awful so it's quite a few people have left the industry because of it um which is really hard because uh, there was like our agent in ireland is amazing who's so organized you could phone up and she sort anything out and she was like I'm not dealing with that. I'm out. I'm retiring. Bye. <laughs> um, so going to Ireland isn't so hard. You have to have a health paper. 
at the beginning, um, there was the health papers changed so many times because the first health paper they produced was just ridiculous with all the crossing out and you had to get it in exactly the right place. It was mad. And then you had to have, so you have to have a blood test for Coggins or EIA, uh, which is equine infectious anemia. Um, and they have to have that and it has to be done at a specific lab. So this is a test that your vet could do. But now, because if the horse is going abroad, it has to be done at Weybridge. So uh, sometimes Weybridge is really busy. So there's a delay. You can have a delay on getting your, your blood done. Then you have to have a health paper, which we put together. And then the vets have to inspect the horse uh, within 24 hours of travel before they leave. Um, and we have to send copies of that to the agents so they can send to the vets in the countries where you're going to. So the vets can say, are we going to accept these horses at the border post? And the French are awful. So I had one box before Christmas and they held us. They, now, bear in mind, we got all our paperwork done. They'd seen it all. They'd agreed that it was OK. They held the horses at the port for six hours for no reason. There was no reason at all to do that. And so that was, and then last week they got through in 45 minutes. So it, it, it just depends on which vet you get when you get there. Cause we've never right. been rejected on a paper. Our papers are always correct. Um, so you've got the health side of it. And currently you only have to go through a border inspection post to leave um, the UK. Um, but at some point we will have border inspection posts here as well. So when the horse comes back, you have to go through one. Um, and then there's also the, one of the biggest um, issues that I've had with Brexit and we've had, everyone's had is, is the customs because so before Brexit to move a thoroughbred, a thoroughbred is considered high health status. And so if you've got an FEI horse, so, you know, like the horses that are here at Babington um, or racehorses, we used to have the tripartite agreement. So it's a little document that we could fill in ourselves. No vets are involved. Um, you'd send it off, it'd get logged internationally, and the horse could go to Ireland or France with no extra paperwork. Um, no vets, no blood tests, nothing. Um, so now they have to do the health certificate, and now we have to pay customs. And that is really difficult and very expensive. Yeah. Um, so you're talking 20% of the horse's value, and if it's gelding, you have to pay 10% duty because it's a gelding. <laughs> And you have to pay this money up front before the horse ship. So this, so is this in France? You have to pay this in France? No, Ireland as well, everywhere, all Europe. And they get that money? Yeah, so because we have companies in France and in Ireland, uh, we can do, uh, this is where I've become now an accounts expert. <laughs> never part. Like My job is shipping horses. I'm not an accountant, but this is how <laughs> it's actually turned out. And this is why if you're doing it, you need a shipping agent like me because yeah. we're the ones that magic it all so it happens. So because we have companies in these different countries, we can do like a, a, a thing called postponed accounting. So we, we don't have to send the money because we, if the horse comes back, we're like, oh, it's come back. So it sort of delays the, the payment. So if a horse yeah. doesn't come back, we have to eventually, but that's only after two years. Yeah. But then we have to, you know, like make sure we know like who's out on what sort of certificate it's, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, I could go on for hours about it. I hate it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's part of it. It's part of it. And the customs, I would say, is the most complicated bit of it. Health papers, we kind of got on top of that now, but customs. What a nightmare. 
absolute nightmare isn't it and you just feel like that's really because obviously you know horse prices in the UK have really shot up you know since Covid and probably since Brexit as well I don't know if you've noticed you must have noticed you know with the industry you're in so do you do you is that because there is a lack of horses coming into the country like they used to like from Ireland there used to be lots that used to come over or from the Netherlands and stuff they used to come over quite Uh, frequently is that just because it's so much harder now that there's just less horses available yeah I think yeah that is it's getting more that way because to begin with I know I know not through us but I know through other companies that horses have come over from Ireland that haven't had any paperwork or any customs paid on but they are tightening up on that now so as the laws get tighter and everyone gets a bit more on it, there is going to be less horses coming over or they're going to cost more money. Um, and it's even like it even affects um, people that are wanting to breed warm bloods. If you want to use a stallion that's in Germany to get the semen over is now it's it, it's not impossible. But the paperwork, because you have to pay customs on that as well, um, <laughs> is is just mad. And the delays because they you know I don't know if you know you know if you send anything to Ireland at the moment there's there's loads of massive delays at like just with their sorting centers because they just want to check whether you owe customs on it but if you've got you know like you've got some like frozen uh, not frozen you know um, chilled semen that you need to use within so many so times, many times. Stuck at, yeah stuck in in Calais and you can't it then yeah it's it, uh, the vets were saying the other night they're having massive problems with that so therefore the Germans, or, you know, the Dutch and that, they don't want to send their products over here because no. they don't, yeah. So, yeah, it's basically, I think, you know, horse prices aren't going to come down because there's going to be less opportunity to get, you know, cheap sources of, like, these, you know, cheap warm bloods that the Europeans don't want that they give to us. They're yeah. not going to be here because it's going to cost, even on 500, a horse, even if you value a horse at 500 pounds, it still costs you more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah you know just in the customs and the paperwork and yeah time and vets bills and bloods and all of that that's all adds so up it used to it? Cost, so i i took um murphy over to ireland for training and it cost 150 pounds to get him there um on a, sh- a massive shared load obviously but there's you can't do it for 150 pounds now i think the cheapest we could get horses out of ireland for is about 400 pounds for the transport yeah the customs it's and, just yeah. crazy it's absolutely and it, crazy and we're saying like it's destroying it's actually you know we're meant to have free market and we haven't because you know you, these horses can't move around and that's what they all were doing so no because uh, like i work on a riding school and obviously we're looking for horses at the minute for the riding school and we can't find anything i mean and obviously we're not particularly fussy about you know it's a ride without sounding harsh it's a riding school pony like horse um yeah, yeah, yeah. but you can't find anything under 10 grand at the minute not like no and 10 grand's no. a lot of money for it and our riding school's a charity riding school so it's a lot of money for a charity riding school to fork out when yeah you know you don't know if that you know you hope and your fingers crossed that everything's okay and you know there's nothing wrong but if something goes wrong with it that's a lot of money to lose. <laughs> it is, yeah. Well, it's like even you know, race horses. I never paid more than five hundred pounds. I've had a few that I have like bought and sold on when I was doing that sort of thing when I had my own yard. I'd never pay more than five hundred pounds for a race horse, and Stormy cost me two thousand, and that's <laughs> cheap. 
Yeah. You know? And then my friend paid um, 10,000 for a cob just to hack. And I was like, are you mad? <laughs> like, but you can't find anything. There's no, nothing. There's nothing out there. No, nothing. And if, and if they... you want something that's even like a tiny bit sound. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like... <laughs> you just get to the so, point, it's like, well, as long as it's got like four legs, but three of them are working, then maybe I'll just take it. <laughs> Yeah. It, and it's really harsh because I, um, I used to, um, well, Murphy went to the RDA where he went to the Paralympic people in the end, but he was in the RDA centre down in, in London. And they were saying the other day that they're really struggling to find RDA ponies. because Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, fair. that's it. I mean, our charity rider school was a, a rider school for the disabled. So the horses we're looking for are like safer, you know, art, you know, um, RDA clients. But also can step up a gear for you know our abled and do like walk trot canter yeah. with um our able body clients so it's it's just really hard or if you see one advertised it's gone within hours so you don't even yeah. get a chance to see it yeah so um very very hard at the minute yeah. but um yeah i wanted to sort of offer this part of the podcast to have like a free area for you to talk about anything you want so if there's something that we've not discussed that you really want to talk about or um or anything basically this is your free space to talk to talk that's <laughs> put me on the spot hasn't it I know. Um, um well actually i should do a bit of promotion really shouldn't yeah I? you okay. can do a bit of promotion that's fine uh so um aside from obviously my day job which does keep me very busy um i do have a number of sidelines that i do i call it the funding what used to be called funding the unicorn that was nickel um so if you uh, go over to my website www.adventuresinblackandwhite.co.uk um you'll see on there all the other all the other bits and pieces that i do and actually during COVID, I taught myself how to create uh, books um, for Amazon. Um, and they've been doing really, really well, actually. I've got a couple of riders that I kind of sponsor that I've sent them to. So I've got like, um, I've got blog books and then I've got undated journals and they're set up just for writing people. And so you can log in there where you, you know, where you've been for your competitions or whatnot. And they're for all the different spheres. There's even special racehorse ones as well. Um, so yeah, I'd advise like if anyone wants to, you know, have a look into those, if that's your sort of thing, then there I've got links to those on my website. And then um another thing that I've moved into more recently is actually actively helping people with structured plans um i helped a lady like and not just people that are competing but i've done a lot of work i'm an nlp coach as well and i've done a lot of work with people that are struggling with confidence or you know you're just at home and you don't know really what you know you want to get your horse fit but you don't know how to uh, mm. or you just want a bit of motivation and um i've just started taking a few clients so um you can sign up to the program, you fill in a, a, a questionnaire and I'll put together a structured um, routine for you to do your horse. I'll, I've got videos um, of like pole work sessions that you can do. Because one of the things um, the first lady that I took on said was she she knew that she should be doing pole work, but she hadn't really got a clue what to do, even mm -hmm. though you know she just looked at stuff. So I just did some really simple videos of what I do on a I do pole Thursday's pole night if you follow my Instagram and Facebook. And um it's just little simple things that I do and I put those in and then I offer Zoom calls so that you know if you just want to chat and just like want to kick up the bum to get motivated 
um, the, the clients I've got so far I found that really useful so if you and obviously I like to talk as you can imagine <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah um, if you yeah if anyone wants to sort of get, get in contact and they'd like some sort of coaching and mentoring then that's what I'm up for and all the information's on my website so uh, and it all goes to a good cause the cause of Stormy so uh, yeah that's what it's all about isn't it really <laughs> yeah you know, <laughs> she's the exactly. most important thing so yeah um but no I just love sharing knowledge and that and like yeah just talking to you today Carly has been absolutely amazing like yeah definitely I should Aww. get back on with my oh, and also yeah what I should mention we were talking about it before we started was my podcast so uh if you want to hear more about my career and and where I started from because I didn't start with horses at all um then go on to Amazon it's on Spotify and it is on iTunes, so I'll have to send you the link later, Kelly. Yeah. Um, it's called The Only Foals and Horses Podcast, and there's links to that on my website as well. So if you can't find it, there's a link on my website directly for that. And that's just all about how I got into racing. So, um, yeah, and that's ongoing. So I think we're season two. Um, but, yeah, if you want to hear me talking about the fun and games that the racing industry is, then that's it. Giving you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that's excellent. That's I love it. So Brilliant. I always that's all right. I always round off each episode with some quick fire questions. So are you generally a night in or a night out person? Oh, night in now, getting too old. <laughs> uh tea or coffee? Oh, difficult. Um tea, I'd say. Uh, Although I have to say, like, I have to say they're working in the office has turned me into a coffee person. (laughs) (laughs) But I am generally the tea person. (laughs) Um, Wellies or heels? Wellies. Sweet or savoury? Savoury, actually. I love cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, oh, I love cheese. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Lastly, book or film? I'd say film. Is there any, like, have you got, like, a favourite film or a film you've seen recently that you would recommend? Uh, I saw Nomadland recently, and that was absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed that. Um, but I like anything like that sort of thing. So um, um, my, fa- my favourite film, I'd say, would probably be Rain Man and The Greatest oh, Showman. Yeah. And just good choices. a good film for cheering you up. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a good choice. Um, yeah. Well... Lastly, would you, I mean, obviously you've mentioned your website, but can you tell us where we can find like all your channels, your social media channels, YouTube, um, everything that we can, where, where can we find you? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook, uh, Adventures in Black and White, and I've also got a following group on there. Um, then I'm on Instagram, Adventures in Black and White, with an underscore between each of the, um, the, let- the na- letters. I'm on YouTube. I've got a YouTube channel. I've loads of tutorials on there and all sorts. Um, and that's Adventures in Black and White. And then obviously the website, which is adventuresinblackandwhite.co.uk. Lovely. Well, I'm pretty, thank- I'm everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for coming on, Ria. I've loved chatting yeah. to you. I've loved learning about like the racing world. I've loved learning about your job. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for taking the time to yeah. speak to us. You know, thank you for having me on. It's been great. So, yeah, no, I've really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please tag um, Rhea and I 
to show in your stories and everything so we know that you're listening and i'll speak to you all on the next episode if you listen to this episode i really hope you enjoyed it as i did making it if you um like to follow me on socials my um instagram is cobs equine services and the same on facebook cobs equine services um if you are listening to this on your um, apple or spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast i really appreciate it if you could leave me a review as it gets um other people to highlight the um episodes to other people and i will speak to you all on the next episode